The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Good evening, everybody. This is Robin. And Nicole. Welcome back to another edition of Horror Pop After Midnight Podcast. And our guest tonight is Bo Smith. How's it going, Bo? It's going real good. No one's caught on yet, so I'm doing fine. (laughs) That's pretty good. So how's your dog? Uh, Cobb is sitting here sleeping at my feet here in my office as we speak, so he's doing real good. Uh, you know, life life cannot be uh, well, it can always be better, but for for what it is, things are going good right now. No, that's really really good to hear. Um, we're really excited to have you on tonight. We've got so many questions, and I know that everybody that's listening is going to be really excited to listen to this episode. So, what do you think, Robin? I think it's going to be pretty fun. <laughs> and um, I met Bo last year over at Scarefest over in. Uh, Lexington, so we had some great conversations. Yeah. Very good convention. You know, and it's not too far for me to, to drive. It's only about an hour and a half drive, which I, I really appreciate being able to physically drive to conventions and some store appearances every once in a while rather than especially deal with the uh, airplanes and the airports and the terminals and stuff as they, as they stand today. Oh yeah, it's been it's been pretty rough. I know that we both talk all the time on every one of our shows that you know how much we miss uh, conventions, you know Comic Con and Horror Hound that we have around here. It was just something um, you know twice a year going to two of them a year and volunteering every year that you know is, is just taken away from our normalcy and things that we had to look forward to and and starting to have things start up a little bit more it gets us something to be excited about and and shows us that you know things are starting to look up even at the the, the littlest thing that they let us do again yeah I'm hoping 2021 will will progress into uh, something that uh, you know like all of us have come to know and, and, and want again so I'm looking forward to uh, the, you know, the next year, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody really is. All right, let's get down to some business. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right, the first question I'm going to ask you is, um, you wrote a uh, comic miniseries for DC of my two favorite heroes, uh, Batman and Wildcat. Yeah, wrote that, co-wrote that with my buddy Chuck Dixon, and we had Sergio Cariello, uh, another longtime friend of ours, doing the art on that. We did Batman Wildcat, and then right after that, we did Catwoman Wildcat, okay. mm-hmm. and we were supposed to do Wildcat Robin after that, but things, uh, regimes started changing, editorials started changing at DC, so that one uh, never went past... Uh, uh, a few pages of script and the uh, plot lines that uh, Chuck and I did. So did you have fun writing Wildcat? There's a lot of people that have tried to write Wildcat, but it's not as good. Uh, Wildcat, believe it or not, that, I 
I've been fortunate enough to, to get to write uh, Wildcat and the Black Terror. These are two characters, even though they're different uh, companies. But those are two characters. When I was little, I asked my dad, what comic books did you read as a kid, Dad? <laughs> and he told me Wildcat was one of his favorites, uh, uh, the Black Terror, and also Blackhawk, which I never got to write. But, hey, I'm not in the dirt yet, so I still may get my chance. <laughs> but that was that was real dream come true for me to get to do Wildcat because it meant so much to, to my dad. And uh, Chuck Dixon, you know, said my buddy had always been a fan of Wildcat. We always wanted to do it, but we wanted to do it as he traditionally always was, was former heavyweight champ who had taught some of the other superheroes in the DC universe, such as like Bruce Wayne, and in this case also Catwoman, uh, how to fight, you know, different fighting techniques, not only boxing, but other stuff early on. So we always wanted to try to capture that mentor part that uh, Wildcat always represented. And at the same time, you know, the rough, the tumble, no superpowers, Give me my motorcycle, point me in the direction of the bad guy, and we'll go at it. So we, we got to do that dream come true, those two miniseries, and we were thrilled beyond belief. Yeah, well, you just haven't done that. So you're a writer and a columnist, and, and you've worked for companies like DC, Image, IDW, and you were even vice president of marketing for Eclipse Comics. So... How did this uh, yep, start? Yep, Eclipse, mm-hmm. Image Comics, let's see, a VP of Marketing for Eclipse. Mm-hmm. Then it was Todd McFarlane Productions, Image Comics, IDW. Um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I had my cake and I was eating it too. I was not only a creator for 34 years, but also on the marketing side as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So we always ask everybody what what got you started what started your love for comics and, and everything that you do right now well I can remember uh, being four years old and the first time I saw a comic book I was just drawn to those words and pictures mm-hmm. and granted at four years old I did not know how to read yet mm-hmm. but I was just I was just drawn and, and here's the thing it shows it goes to show you what artists can do because as a four-year-old, me being so drawn to it, and I I would say 85% knew what the story was, even though I couldn't read the words, because comic book artists are such storytellers. You can cover up the word balloons, and if they're a good artist and a good storyteller, you can tell what's going on. So uh, I was addicted from, from four years old on and when I started first grade, I looked forward to it, not for, you know, any high educational re- uh, meetings, but the main reason was I thought I would go to school that morning. When I came back home at 3, 3.30, I would know how to read. So I was very disappointed when I got home for that first day of school and I couldn't read all those comic books that I had acquired in two years. So I was, I was pretty ticked off, but gradually... Uh, you know, we got, we all, they taught us to read and stuff, and that just, that opened up a world to me. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to, say, Michael Jordan or, or uh, Wayne Gretzky and the fact 
but there's there's similarity in the fact that the first time they picked up a ball or a hockey stick, they had to know that they were drawn to that particular thing, and that's the way it was for me. I was the first time I saw a comic book. I was just this is it. This is like food. This is like oxygen, and I was just drawn to it. And it's it's not like go of me yet. Yeah, I know. I've always said, and um, one of my good friends, he owns the comic book shop here in town, and I always tell him that, you know, he should really try to get out to some of the schools and, and take some of his comics out there because the best way for a child to learn how to read is, the best way is through comics. I mean, I know myself to this day that I still love to open up the pages and read it and smell it. Or I'm drawn to the artist on the front right away if I'm looking for something yeah. new, you know. And being forty, yeah. being forty this year, <clears throat> you know, I still do. I <laughs> we were standing in the kitchen the other day, and I got a new comic in the mail, and my husband opened it. He's like, "You want to smell it?" And I said, "Yes," <laughs> because you know his favorite I know exactly comics. What you mean. Yeah, his favorite comics are super pro. So, um, the super pro comics and he buys everyone that he can find. Not many people like him at all, but he, as they, they tell him, but it's just the one that he's drawn to the one that strikes his memory as a child going and getting that one, you know, every time he went to the and, store. And that's what, you know, you start like you, like you said, you're drawn to it. You, you love the smell of it, the look of it, the cover and after a little bit, you, you get drawn to it. Like, when I was a kid, there weren't comic shops. You had to get them at the drugstore, the gas station, the uh, supermarket. And they weren't always in chronological order. So you just basically grabbed everything you liked. And you started, I know for me, um, I was probably by that stage in elementary or junior high. And I read Daredevil 15. Mm. And that, John Romita Sr. doing the artwork, that just hooked me so from there on out I always looked for Daredevil first and then you know I had my my pecking order of what I would go for after that but um and Daredevil actually is the one I even bought back issues back then in the 60s and that was hard to do because the only place you could get them uh, other than trading with another kid was in the back of the comics there was an ad uh, a gentleman Howard Rogowski, I believe is his last name and I remember I bought all the back issues of Daredevil for like two dollars a piece which was just back then that was a lot of money in the 60s but if you think about it now I got Daredevil 1 through uh, 14 for basically two dollars a piece so <laughs> it, it, it was a good deal but Daredevil's the only book because of that I have the first 100 issues everything else like Avengers, Fantastic Four, things like that. I've got near close completed runs, but um, you know they're just too expensive to, to get them all. But no, it, it's it's just uh, see now you got me rattling on. Oh, you're okay. We're enjoying <laughs> listening <laughs> to it. Hey, I like but that. I just get, oh, they make me excited. Yeah, they, that's they good. Really I do. I get excited. We got we got three packages in the mail of ones we won on eBay, and we we get so excited when we're opening it. <laughs> hey, every trip to the post office 
should be like Christmas. I agree yep. 100%. I am still like that every day. <laughs> I always tell my husband that, um, I said, you should, you should be happy because... You know, you got that lower maintenance kind of wife. It's not jewelry and candy and flowers. It's taking me to a comic shop or going to watch a superhero movie. So he's got a good. That's the best. I love hearing that. I love it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like it how you're a big Daredevil fan. Um, Like me, I'm a huge Batman fan, and I did the same thing. I tried to, you know buy up all the back issues too, especially the 70s Batman because I like it because he was more darker. Yeah, 70s, with Jim Aparo doing the artwork a lot in the 70s, because that was a wonderful time for uh, Batman. You had that, you had Neil Adams. It was a change. It was it was changing from that camp stuff that, that went on in the 60s, which I loved, but it was, as we got older, the comics grew with us. And, and yeah. And especially with Batman, it was great. Mm-hmm. All right, another question I'm going to ask you too, um, How'd you come up with the comic book series Winona Earp? Oh gosh, that again dates back to elementary school. Uh, <laughs> instead of doing math work, I was I was sitting in class. I loved when I was a kid. And this was mainly in the '60s. The TV landscape was littered with westerns. I mean, they mm-hmm. were yeah. everywhere and all the time. So that was a big influence on me. So. I love that. I love the Universal Monsters, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, Creature, things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, like so I would sit instead of doing my math class in my notebook, I would write stories of Wyatt Earp and his brothers fighting the Universal Monsters or mm-hmm. Martians in the Old West. That was my, I combined the two things I loved the most. So, and that never left, to be honest with you. I always, uh, tinkered around with that in my head as, through high school, through college. I never stopped writing in my little notebooks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we fast forward to, uh, you know, the 80s. And I started seriously thinking about how can I do this? And at that time, the 80s, the early 90s, Westerns, as far as comics and in pop culture, were not as popular as they were when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had to kind of modernize it to if I were going to do this as a comic to make it go and like I said I created it you know in the 60s and redefined it and stuff probably in the very early 80s where it would be a descendant of Wyatt Earp mm-hmm. and uh, to be honest with you um, I thought why not make it his great 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 granddaughter yeah. and she's a U.S. Marshal but she's a covert branch mm-hmm. of the U.S. Marshals and it's you know, of course, I couldn't have her fight the Universal Monsters because I didn't know the licensing. You find that out as an adult. But I had her fighting the organized crime of monsters. Who's to say just because you have a normal guy that's skimming from the mob or is running books, has drug, you know, running drugs, prostitution, or whatever, regular human crime, yeah. why can't there be a universe where there are monsters doing that? So that's what inspired that so in 1996 the first issue of Wine on Earth came out at Wildstorm slash Image mm-hmm. and I did five issues then and a continued miniseries or graphic novels after that but it came from the mind of a child well, you know, when I was in elementary just loving to put uh, the old western monsters together yeah this 
with me being a, a woman, you know, in the comic book world, you don't you don't see a you, you're seeing more and more of us. <laughs> but you know, my big thing is I do I love the supernatural too. I I, I love the werewolves, witches, warlocks, vampires, and and when I came across Winona Earp, I was like, man. This is awesome. It's not a Twilight, you know. It's not, you know, it's not a Hunger Games. It's not anything like that. I mean, man, it, it can get really scary. But you got the strong woman. You got the strong woman that's standing her ground. And it's a comic for women also that that want to see that, you know, um, you know, Wyatt Earp was for the guys. But you have the descendant, Winona Earp, who's just kicking ass and able to hold her own with men, if not better than men. And, and you know, I'm in the process of collecting all of them right now. I love the hunt. So when I get onto oh, a, a series, you. yeah, when I get onto a series and I'm like, I got to have them. But I don't want to have them all at once either. I want to... I want to find them and things like that. That's always fun. But, you know, and then watching the series, it was just, it was phenomenal. It grasped my attention. It's one of those series where you're watching and all of a sudden it's over and you're like, man, did I just watch all those? You know, I mean, Melanie and and Tim and and Dominique, you know, I love Waverly. I loved how each one of those characters were different and everybody can can uh grasp a little bit of themselves and everybody you know the strong woman that don't need a man the the man that needed the woman you know the the woman that was smart as hell but she didn't need nobody so and it's got some really good storylines that that just grasps your attention and you don't get bored like walking dead you know we loved it and loved it and then towards the end it's fading out you know it's about ready to die and it wasn't you know just disappointed you but this series, I can actually say, keeps your attention. You want it to keep going and going. It's kind of like how I felt about Lost Girl. I love the Lost Girl series, too. It was just something different that's not your everyday. She's, you know, Winona. She's kind of a superhero in her own way. Um, she's she's fighting for her town. She's, she's fighting for her name. And, you know, she kicks ass while she does it. So what better could we ask for? At least me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I mean, because the, the personality of Wine on Earth when I created it a long, long time ago was based off my mom, who was a very strong, independent woman. That's and awesome. That, that's where my basis came from. And then when we got optioned for a television series, Emily Andrews, the head writer and, and showrunner for Wine on Earth, turned in um, the Wine on Earth Bible and the script for the first episode, pilot episode. Mm-hmm. And she had you know, read all the books and the comics. But I, by that point, I'd been publishing and writing Wine on Earth for 20 years mm-hmm. and had taken her, the character, as far as it could go within the comic book world. Okay. With the television, you get this, there's always going to be changes. They could be cosmetic changes from being a blonde in the comics to being a brunette, you know, minor things like that to major changes. And as the original creator of the character, I knew after reading that, there are going to have to be changes to take it to the next platform mm-hmm. to show more people 
people that are not traditionally comic book readers to let them discover this character. So there were two minor changes that I had made off those things at the very, very beginning. And Emily, I always put it this way. I gave her a loaf of bread, and she made sandwiches for the world. Nice. She took that character and added layers upon layers of different things, this, that, and the other, which were just creatively amazing. And you've described most of them with what you said. And then she brought in characters, the uh, the new, let's put it, the new version of Doc Holliday. Yeah. She brought in Waverly, uh, mm-hmm. Officer Hot, Agent Dahl, and so many other characters within the TV show. The only ones she brought in for mine were were Winona Earp and Bobo Del Rey. Even with Bobo Del Rey, she added so much yeah. more. And it, it, it literally spoke to so many people, and she was able to do what we, what we did as much as we could in comics. She took it to the world. Speaking of Winona Earp, um, did your mom know that it was based off of her? show too you know to remember her by so that's that's really awesome I love hearing that My favorite character on there, of course, is Doc Holliday, which is played by Tim Rosen. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he's like us, too. I mean, he's a big comic book geek as well. And um, Just amazing, yes. And um, you built a friendship with him over the years, too. You guys um, wrote a uh, Winona Earp Legends Doc Holliday uh, comic miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hear a good uh, Tim Rosen story.
he knew everything. And when we started writing, it was literally like we've been writing comics forever because he knows them so well. And he's just, he brings so much to the, the, the book. I wrote a lot with him. And every time he would turn in his parts of the script to me, it was like, oh, paint me in a corner, wanting to see how I get out of this. Okay, well, I'll write my next scene, dribble paint you in a corner. He would automatically come back, bang, bang, and I'd be right back in that corner trying to fight my way out. And it was, it was it's an amazing creative collaboration because I think we complement each other. And at the same time, you know, I've been doing this for 34 years, yet I'm learning from him and all of his experience as an actor and being in film and television, he brings that to the table with comic books. So it's a perfect mesh of the two. And to show you how much Tim is into comics, uh, and you know his schedule, he owns a couple of restaurants, uh, a couple other businesses as well, does all the acting. When I would call to go over the story stuff, literally, no matter what he was doing, he would drop that. And because it's a chance to create and talk comics. So I call, we always do the FaceTime. That's that's what he and Melanie both prefer. So I call him, FaceTime, I'm waiting for the picture to come up on the screen. And the picture does come up on the screen. All of a sudden there's a shower curtain that opens up. He's in the shower. And I, I, I'm just sitting there kind of slides on and go, what are you doing? You're in the shower. He goes, hey, Mr. Smith, we got to talk comics. <laughs> after you get out he's going well oh, I can talk now he turns the water off so I'm standing there and luckily enough I, you know, I'm not getting full frontal here <laughs> but you know we sat there and, and one of our first plotting sessions was him in the shower <laughs> so there you go I mean, the guy that's his dedication to comics and, and uh, the medium I mean he loves it and uh, he's He's a wonderful guy to work with. He and I, no matter if he's on set or whatever, we usually text at least once a day or every other day back and forth. And it it seriously is like two 12-year-olds getting together. I, I, I mean, probably would, too. We're about comics and, you know, that, the fun stuff. I'm, I'm jealous sitting over here. I, I, I would crap. I mean, <laughs> if I had him pop up on my, on my phone, his face, I wish, yeah. <laughs> You're living a good life. <laughs> yeah, Tim is. I would love to pick. He's, I got to tell you guys, he's one of the most selfless, thankless people ever. That's I awesome mean, to hear. And I, I sincerely mean this. Uh, and a lot of times I've found that when I'm being my petty self or my flawed self, I'll catch myself and go, you know, Tim would do that. I shouldn't do that. I should act that way or think that way because... He is, they made the cliche years and years ago, the guy would give you a shirt off his back. He truly lives up to that. He is uh, a really wonderful guy and a very, very good person. I bet he is. I would love to meet him someday. Yeah, And I would love to pick his brain, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully we'll get him, I would love to see him, get him in a, what I would call semi-local convention somewhere in the tri-state area of West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio, where, Uh you know, he can be down here in my area, and so many people that cannot go to, say, San Diego or or Montreal or Calgary or Chicago or whatever, 
to, to get to see because he has a lot of fans here in the tri-state area. Uh, yeah, he does. Um, I heard about that too. Like we're out in Cincinnati, so mm-hmm. we're not far from everything. Yeah. And um, there's you and him supposed to have done a convention down in the tri-state area uh, not uh, too long ago. I think you just went and he wasn't able to make it. Yeah, it was uh, Jared Greer uh, uh, ran one in in uh, Lexington. Yeah, or Louisville. Louisville. It was Louisville because I and yeah. Jim was Jim was supposed to go and everything, but he ended up getting a part mm-hmm. uh, in a series and a film, excuse me, a movie, and it was he had to go film it in South Africa of all places. Wow! And he had to actually just go, so he sent Michael Eklund, who plays Bobo Del Rey, yeah. in his place. And we had a great show. It was a small show, but we had a great time. I really wish Tim could have gone. We did a special wine on earth cover mm-hmm. with Tim and I on the cover, a photo cover. But Michael came. Entertained and we had a good time, but uh, I always remind him. I said, "You owe me one. You need to get down here in my area." <laughs> yeah, you need to bring him that area so I can finally, you know, uh, meet him and of course meet you. Because when, um, like I said earlier on the podcast, when I met you at, at Scarefest, we had a good conversation uh, for a little bit before um, a lot of people were coming up, you know, checking out your books and everything. And I thought that was the greatest thing. So, so it, the, the, the local. The, the non-huge shows are the ones I still enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do. I enjoy going to San Diego every year and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're monstrous and they're overwhelming. But, you know, there's nothing like a what I call a good old-fashioned small comic show or pop culture show yep. that you can go and you can actually talk to talk people, to people. find out what yep. they like, what they don't like. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I make some of the best friends that way. Yeah, we've had, I've went to quite a few and met quite a few people, and you always know, you know, the good people to talk to and meet, the ones that don't just take your camera, click your picture, and then tap you on your butt and you're gone. You know, thanks for the hundred bucks. You know, it's it's the actors and the writers that actually take a second and forget that there's a long line behind this this uh, fan of theirs and they actually have a conversation with you. Like I always mention yeah. my favorite, C. Thomas Howe. He took a long while with us, you know, and we talked about my son um, and, you know, oh. it was just a heartfelt, you know, experience for my husband and I and then he, he signed a signed an autograph for my son too and then snapped some photos to make him jealous you know he took his time it's not about you know and you don't want to say man that was worth the money no that was worth the experience and going and and getting that memory so it's the little ones are nice that's the truth I love hearing that too because even before I got into comics whether it was comics every once in a while you just meet somebody Mm -hmm. that was just a good person and that memory you know lasts forever it really mm-hmm. does and it gives me hope especially like with hearing what you said too gives me hope and faith that you know people will continue no matter how big pop culture gets yeah. there will always be good people too yes because we're the ones that you know love your movies and love your tv shows and and, and buy your shirt and wear it and you know, uh, give you give you as actors and actresses that chance to get your face seen even more to make them who they are today. So why not show the love and the appreciation and just 
and a little meet and greet or a handshake or a, you yeah. know things like that and it, yeah. it's the little thing that that make us happy just just to have that experience it, it, uh, it's just beyond I mean even in the, for me in the early days when I first started doing these things in the early 80s and stuff I mean that was a time when you know I got to go John Renita Sr. Stanley actually got the mm-hmm. Jack Kirby actually and his wife Roz took me under their wing at my first convention took me in there got me registered got me took me here go down here that's Just awesome super nice people and I've never and once I got into the industry I thought you know I, I want to keep that in mind and, and hopefully never be on his level but get to do that on my end as well uh, there's other people before I got in the industry I mean uh, Walt Simonson Mike Barron uh, Tim Truman were people that didn't know me from Adam, but oh, you want to be a writer? Well, here's what a plot looks like. Here's what a script looks like. Oh, yeah, yeah, do this. They didn't have to do that. They didn't yeah. have to take the time to do that, but they did. Those are good people, right? And they should always be cherished, you know? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I was reading it a little bit. Um, the other day, and I seen that one of your first features for Eclipse was a character named Bo LaDuke, and supposedly <laughs> he has a striking resemblance to yourself. So, can you tell me that you take your real experiences and and people that you know to make some of these characters that you write about? That was that was one of the very first things. That's actually my first published comic book was. Bo the Duke's Kids for Real Men, which was in the back of Scout by Tim Truman. And it ended up being a miniseries, a backup miniseries called Bo the Duke, The Dogs of Danger. And I thought, at that point, 1986-87, this this is going to be the only time I'm ever going to be able to write comics because they're going to catch on and find, oh, this guy's not the cool guy. What's he doing in the party? And toss me out. So I really did believe this was going to be my only chance to write comics. So I thought, well, I'm going to do something that will always be remembered by me, my family, and friends. So, yes, Bo LaDuke was, was modeled after me. And in that Dogs of Danger miniseries, those four issues, I put every member of my family, my friends, and my friends in comics as characters in that those stories. So everyone you see in there is based off a real person. The main bad guy was my insurance agent. <laughs> was he was he wearing khakis? I, I, I put everyone in there. And because I really did, I thought, they're never going to let me do a comic book again. And I continued to do both thank goodness, for three years after that in the Scout comic. But that also became something that I've always done. Because I've always figured, you cannot own your own likeness then what's the use of, of writing and, and being able to create? So I have always done characters that were based on me. It's my Alfred Hitchcock cameo thing, where in Why on Earth, in the comics, I'm Smitty. I'm the character Smitty in, in all those 20 years worth of issues. And in season two of Why on Earth, I got my 17 seconds of fame, where Tim Rosan and I got to do a scene together so for 17 seconds I'm in the TV series Wine on Earth as myself so oh that's um, awesome I'm going to have to rewatch it now started it all 
That's awesome. So you proved yourself wrong. Beg your pardon? I said, so you proved yourself wrong, and you still are, because you didn't think that you were going to write anymore, and look at you now. Oh, it's just, you gotta get away with murder. I mean, I really do feel like a lot of times uh, I, 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 I stole something and I've gotten away with it. It's, <laughs> it's wonderful. And to, to be able to do that scene with Tim, where we, he's coming in the door, I'm going out the door, we're in each other's way, we give each other the stink eye, then I walk on out, was just, it was fun. Now, I gotta tell you, in that same instance, I, you know, we all grow up thinking, I'd like to be a movie star or a TV star. I found out being on the set every year was for one owner. Being an actor is the last thing I ever want to do. I could not stand the repetition, the memorization of the line. Right. Look this way, look that way. You got to be born to do that. I like being a writer where you have control. You control everything when you're a writer. But as an actor, that takes some real grit fortitude and my hat is off to Tim, Melanie, Dominique, mm-hmm. uh, Kat, everybody because that's hard work. A question, since you were um, always on the Winona Earp set, you know, you get along with the cast and I see you guys, you're always hanging out with them. I got one question. Did you ever get a chance to uh, touch or uh, get to shoot a Peacemaker? Oh. No. <coughs> we were going to and but it was being used in, in props that day. Instead, since they couldn't do that, they got Bobo Del Rey's big fur coat, and I got to wear it. So, <laughs> that was nice. Peacemaker. Peacemaker was my first choice, but wearing Bobo's jacket. And the reason I named the character Bobo Del Rey is so everyone would have to say my name twice. Ah, that's awesome that is clever I love it I like it I would love to see a picture of you in in that big old fur coat (laughs) I've got got one somewhere and I will have to dig that out and I'll I'll put it up on my Facebook but I'll dig that out that'd be great and it's not you you said it's being clever it's not being clever it's being an egomaniac. I think that hey, but you know what you said about you know not wanting to be an actor. You get to sit back and watch your stories come to life, and you you know you have them on you know DVD video now, and you get to rewatch that over and over, and and you know just watch all your characters and your stories come to life. I, I think that I think that would really be better than being an actor and doing that yourself. Oh. A hundred percent. The first time when we were going through auditions, and there were probably two to three hundred actors that that tried out for the role of Wyoming or Herb, and I watched all of them. And the first time I saw one of the actors hold up the badge, look at the camera, and go, Wyoming Herb, U.S. Marshals, I just about peed my pants. <laughs> it, it was just a, to see someone live being Winona Earth and then Melody's audition was killer she was one of the top three that I'd written down of here's who I'd like to see play the thing she nailed it right off the bat she was so good and she really was she was meant to play that role oh absolutely no one else I mean she was just killer oh my gosh so do you have any good Melanie stories <laughs> 
Legends, and we wrote a couple other one Earth books together too. And we're, in fact, I'll tell you all this: we've got a new book that we've co-created together that will be coming out. Um, the artists are getting ready to work on it, and it's signed, sealed, delivered. It's a, it's a thing. So we, that's coming out, and I think we're pretty excited about it. And we hope everybody else will be too. Um, Melanie, my, Melanie's story was kind of a little like Tim's in a way. We did our FaceTime thing. I was waiting for her to come on. You know, I rang the thing, and she's there, and she just had her baby. And I noticed the shot she had was just basically from her neck up. And we're talking and this, that, and the other. And she goes, oh, Bo, I'm, she goes, I'm sorry. And her husband came, and she hands the baby off. She was breastfeeding while we were talking. Nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> I would have been like, huh? <laughs> and I kept wondering why, you know, the, the shot was from her neck up. You know, and she was just as a matter of fact, she goes, Oh no, no, Jeff took the baby, I was just resting, and I'm going, I'm going to enter it. Uh, I would have did the same thing if I saw Millie, like, I'd be like, What? Us mom's yeah, multitask. I mean, just to know that she that comfortable, I mean, granted, I could not see anything, but, but, but that comfortable to, you know, she's, like I said, she's one in a million. And uh, you never know, for me, writing with one of the, because I also wrote with Dominique and Kat on Bad Day at Black Rock with the Way Hot story that we did. You just never know what's going to pop up on your FaceTime. <laughs> Sounds you like know? it. I'm, I'm always, I'm always kind of prepared. Well, to give an example, Dominique and I were going over story parts for Bad Day at Black Rock with the Way uh, Hot story in the back and she was in the Amazon basically on the Amazon the banks of the Amazon River while we're doing this because she was down there uh, you know doing this this trip of hers and I you just think about that when I started writing comics we were doing it on typewriter with carbon paper and now I've been talking to a co-writer and they're sitting on the banks of the Amazon and I can see them on my phone yeah that it's just amazing how far technology has taken us mm-hmm. in the creative arts. That's amazing. That's true. I mean, you can do it from anywhere. I mean, you can have like little meetings yeah. from everywhere around the world. Yeah. It's, 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 I am so fortunate to see all that stuff, you know, in my lifetime. And not a day goes by that I'm not in awe of it in some way. Or ticked off at it too. You know, you, we all get mad at the internet now and then, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's uh, technology is a wonderful blessing, and it can be a curse sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Just depends on what it is, but it's, it's amazing. Since growing up, you were a big fan of the Universal monsters. Um, do you watch any other horror films today? Um, very, to be, I'm going to be very honest with you. And I was talking about this the other day with a group of, of people. Um, I am a 50s monster movie diehard. The fact, you know, when, again, radioactivity and the atomic bomb played so much, you know, whether it was them or the creature from the Black Lagoon or whatever, it affected things. I am a monster movie 
fan. I am not a big horror fan, even yeah. though I can write with ease, but I'm, I'm not a horror or psychological horror fan myself. I don't read much of it. I don't watch much of it. But if it's a monster in it, I'm there every time. If it's a, a big monster, you know, I'm there. But if, it, it's, if it's something that could be even halfway real life, nah. Then I'd be sleeping with the light on it. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's like when my buddy Steve Niles did 30 Days of Night, the comic book. I love yeah. that book. Oh, yeah. The movie. He, you know, I was doing, I was VP of marketing for IDW at the time, and they sent the script over. That gave me the jeebies. Oh, I yeah. Mean, not, not in a good way. I mean, I was going, oh, my gosh. I mean, in a scared, which is good, because that's what you want. Yeah. And, And even in the movie, there's even a character named Bo that he named after me, you know, in the thing that, you know, that, I could watch that part, but the movie's too scary for me. I'm a coward, guys. You're the first one to hear, scary movies scare me. Um, I'm a big uh, geek collector. I like to, you know, collect all, you know, collectibles, you know, geeky stuff. Will we ever see any, like, Winona Earp action figures or a Doc Holliday action figure? I would love that. Um, it depends on what IBW can uh, work out with, you know, some, you know with the toy company. Let's just put it that way, or, or toy creators type stuff. Uh, I would love for that to happen in a minute. I'd be all right. Definitely, I'd be on that. Yeah, I'd I'm cool with some that. pop figures. I'm a big pop figure nerd. <laughs> uh, and I mean, you know, working for McFarland Toys from the beginning till through 2000, you know, and getting to be a part, so much a part of the toy business. Oh my gosh, I would give, I would give my team to have action figures figure even uh-huh. based upon something like you know that I've created that would just tickle me thing. Oh yeah, it would be on my shelf. Oh <laughs> it'd definitely be on my shelf too. I'd be like, uh yeah, I need a Winona and a dot holiday figure <laughs> with with a mini oh, I, would, I would I would love it. With a mini just pe- the accessories alone. Peacemaker, Doc's guns, his knife. Oh yeah. Incredible. And she has to have yeah, like yeah. interchangeable yeah. leather jackets, like she likes to wear. <laughs> yeah. So you got like replacements. Yeah. So hers can come with like two different leather jackets, and you know, her nice little woman oh. accessories. Oh, and you also have to have a whiskey bottle too. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be wonderful. Now, you know, toys and action figures have always been a huge part of my life. Again, since the '60s, I still have. Oh gosh. 40, 12-inch uh, G.I. Joes from that period. I still have my original G.I. Joe Jeep, my Captain Action. I, I've still got all that stuff. and uh, I took very good care of my toys, so I've still got a, a good bulk of them upstairs. So what's your thoughts of uh, Wynell Earp? Um, it's going to be its final season. Got no idea. Uh, you know, I've always taken, after first season, I was going, well, that was great, man. You know, hope, hope we get a second season. You know, and then we did. Mm-hmm. And every year, I, I I hope and pray for the best. And who knows? You know, uh, that part of it is not up to me. Because uh, if it was up to me, we'd go on for infinity. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I hope that we, 
it will hopefully go a long time. I mean, just out of selfish reasons, because I love to keep watching and seeing it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would too. It's, I mean, like I said, it's such a fun show. Um, you know, I, I, I never miss an episode, and if I do, you know, I always DVR it, but... Yeah, it's just such a fun show, and I'm glad Sci-Fi is actually showing that. Oh, I, I get to, the neat thing when we're filming. I get to see if they film on Monday, Tuesday morning. I get to see the Russians, so I'm watching that, you know, on my computer, and it's just—I mean, I, have to, you know, once the old cliche, I have to pinch myself every once in a while. I'm going, man, I, I can't believe I'm sitting here watching something they filmed yesterday. And it's based off my character. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that to me, guys, after, what, four years of doing it, 20 years of publishing it, it's still mind-blowing to me. I am still like a 12-year-old. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, for for me, you know, I'm I'm glad that, you know, we have writers like you and 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 people that that keep things like this going, keep it alive and you know, like I said, even though I'm 40, you know, even if it's an 8-year-old, I mean, we have something that we can do together. Like me and my daughter, um we collect pop figures together, you know, so I pick them up little things here and there. So, I mean, we, I don't have to take them out and buy them these brand new Jordans or, you know, the Tommy Hilfiger jeans. And, you know, I've, we've got them to raise them to appreciate the littler things that w- we can all do together. And this is something that we can do together. So to have people like you that, that keep this alive for us and that they can continue to pass down to their kids is, I think I cherish that more than anything money can buy. I'm I'm a big fan. Of- <laughs> that's, that's what your kids are going to always remember. Too, you know? <laughs> yep. yep. That is. That's the part they're always going to remember. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the omnibuses, you know, of, of different comic collections. And may, yeah, may, right yeah, maybe sometime in the near future, maybe there will be a huge omnibus of Winona Earp. Hmm. Oh, I, if, if we get to do that, that would be great. That means <laughs> we've got to do even more comic books. So, Yes, I would be thrilled to death. Now, the omnibus are, are things I, I just, uh, especially my favorites from my childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, I can haul those things out and instantly be transported to 1963 again. Now, I agree with you. I would love to see that happen. I yeah. something I, I would love to see it happen at DC Comics would be, um, now we've got the Batman Wildcat. It's been, that stuff's been collected in trade paperback. Yeah. Thrilled to death. But I'd, I'd love to see uh, the Guy Gardner Warrior stuff that I did collected as well. That was two and a half years I did that book, and that was two and a half years of so much fun. They DC Comics was was very um, free in letting us as creators do what we wanted to do, and it was literally two and a half years of freedom. We got to just have a lot of fun. Got to work with a lot of great artists, and I would love to see some of that stuff collected at some point. Yeah. And and also, you did a little bit of Spawn a little bit, too. Yep, did some Spawn stuff for Todd uh, and Angela uh, as well. It was kind of neat to have my first Angela stuff collected in a trade paperback back-to-back with Neil Gaiman. Uh, and Neil and I have known each other since he did Miracle Man at Eclipse and stuff, and he's you talk about another, there's another guy like Tim who's such a gentleman, such a nice person, and again, such a talented person. 
so to have a piece of my work in there with his Angela miniseries was just again I felt like someone's going to catch on and kick me out of here real soon you know but he, he was he's a wonderful guy and it was just a real honor to be in the same crate paperback speaking of Neil Gaiman since you know him pretty well what do you think about him uh, getting ready to have uh, his uh, character Sandman becoming a Netflix series you know I said um, one of my favorite characters of Neil's is I just love Death. Death is just such a great character. Whatever he does is golden, just like you said with Alan Moore. When I was growing up as a kid in the 80s, um, I loved um, Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing. It was just so brilliant. Yeah, he Uh, loves Swamp Thing. (laughs) That's why I have a Swamp Thing tattoo. (laughs) Yeah, he does. to hear all the respect that you alone have for other writers and and drawlers and 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 people like that like you said it, it's it's humbling and um you know you got as you get older and you, you know you get older who's going to keep this going who's going to keep keep the um you know the excitement for children and even adults alive with comic books and and all these conventions it's it's you um appreciating other people and then you know the the younger ones that are coming up you're teaching them and they're learning from you and you just keep it going 
Well, I hope not too many people learn from me. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. It's like, don't learn from uh, Bo here, not me. <laughs> now that we know some of your little secrets. Hey, Bo, we're on to you. We know your secrets. <laughs> I told you I was going to get kicked out of this party yet. <laughs> no, you see, today, tonight, you came to the right party. Yes. <laughs> you did. Like I said, if we were out in the middle of nowhere, you're welcome to come to my campfire anytime. Yeah, hey, we got a big Halloween party coming up here on on Halloween. We we got our 17 foot yeah we got our 17 foot projector screen and we're, no joke and we're we're ready to party. You cannot beat that. Just here, I'll let me add. Let me add my one bit to it. because you have your memories of your parents being married on Halloween and mine have the memory of their parents being married in a wrestling ring during a wrestling match. So, oh, I'm, I'm so with you. <laughs> yeah. Her and her husband, Pete, no lie, was married in a wrestling ring at uh, Future Great Wrestling over here in Hamilton, Ohio. Yeah. Um, and it... it it was just, it was different. I'd never seen the people get married in a wrestling ring. It was wild. And uh, <laughs> she got to do some uh, wrestling moves, too, which was yeah. like. I, yeah, somebody tried uh, Barnabas Specter, a really a really bad dude. He he came in and tried to take me away, and, and I wasn't having it. And neither was my really close to being done married husband. So, yep. Now you're talking, you're talking my language now. This, so, that, that, see, we could be friends. See, we need to be friends, Bo. Oh, well, you know, I wrote 11 issues of the Undertaker comic. Yes, I know I've seen that. Yep. Okay. Yes, yeah, I did. I to do signings with him, with Paul Bear, with Nick Foley, and three of, and, and flew to Las Vegas sitting beside Bruno Sammartino. Legend. My hero as a kid. See how Bruno Sammartino was uh, your hero as a kid. When I went, when I was growing up, my hero was Roddy Roddy Piper. She-Ra, the- but that's still, she's still cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, that's the best. So, um, what was it like uh, to, uh, you know, be with The Undertaker? I mean, that had to have been great. I would have loved to met the legend, uh, you know, the phenomenon, Undertaker. <laughs> he, he, he did, that signing we did in San Diego, we had 1,500 people in line. I mean, it was monstrous. Wow. Huge line. And we sat down 
He goes, no, no, no. They need to come to you first. He goes, if that, and he knew his stuff. He was putting me over in wrestling terms with the people that were coming to get stuff signed. He goes, here's the thing. He goes, if, if I'm sitting here first, they're going to sit here and talk. He goes, then they may skip you. They may, just because this is what, he goes, if you're first, they're going to have to talk to you first. They're going to get you to sign first, then we go to me. And we had probably a half hour before they let anybody in. And we sat there and talked about his, him growing up in Texas, about him riding motorcycles, what he liked to do and work on them, about his basketball career wow. growing up, what it was like to do that. He was so professional, such a nice, soft-spoken, regular guy. I mean, I truly enjoyed the time we sat there and just chit-chatted, talked. He was, everybody that came up, he would, he talked about the comic. He didn't just talk about wrestling. He answered their questions, yes. But he was also putting the comic book over as well. And that was just amazing. He was a, just such a true professional. Great guy to meet. I mean, uh, that was, like you were talking about earlier, that's one of those moments sticks with you, you have that memory forever, mm -hmm. and you he gives the name of wrestling a wonderful name, too, because he's such an ambassador of the, the sports entertainment. Yeah. That's pretty true, and like I said, I was a huge Piper fan, so I was blessed to meet yeah. him, I, I was blessed to meet him a couple uh, times before he passed away, and he was like one of the most genuine, nicest guys who you would ever know. He took his time and talked to everybody, and he had the most wild stories. And I remember when I was in line, he comes up to me, he's like, hey, kid, where are you from? And I go, Cincinnati. He goes, he's like, let me tell you a story about uh, me and uh, Jerry Springer in Cincinnati. Oh, <laughs> See, you guys have all these cool stories, and then mine is, you know, a couple years ago, I'm I'm outside working the lines, ushering people in, and Jake the Snake Roberts is outside smoking a cigarette, and I'm standing there smoking a cigarette with him for a minute. They actually put his table by the door so this man could go outside and smoke, because I think he smokes his more than if it's not much as I do so I thought that was super cool I'm sitting there yelling you know have a ticket need a ticket you know keep on saying that over and over again putting people in their lines and then just stop and smoke a cigarette with Jake the Snake I mean that's good enough for me isn't that great the three of us all have our stories we've been telling them but isn't that great that in this kind of pop culture all of that can happen because me being 65 years old, back when I was a kid, and even a young person, that wasn't available. Mm -hmm. I mean, I used to sit and dream of, one day I'll get to meet Kirby or, you know, something like that. But that stuff was rare and few far between because it wasn't, especially living in a small town in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. So, think about that. We get to do that. The world of pop culture has grown so much since all of us yeah, it's great because back when I was growing up in the 80s, pop culture wasn't as big as is it today. You were considered a nerd or yep. you got beat up. Yep. <laughs> yep, you were a nerd that knew how to fight. <laughs> yeah, I remember, it's, yeah. It's all changed. Everybody, everybody has something to, in quotes, geek out about now. And that's great. Pop culture has been 
so embraced. I mean, I still find it so hard to believe, being a child of the 60s, that people can see Iron Man, Ant-Man, mm-hmm. you know, any of these characters on a big screen, and they're doing wonderful box office. That still amazes me, because as a kid in the 60s, I never thought that day would happen. I was the only one knew, who knew who the, who the X-Men were yep. in my neighborhood. And I never did dream that one day the whole world would know. Yeah, being a girl, you know, being being a girl at, you know, 15 or 16 collecting flare cards and, and you know, your favorite superheroes that were actually a Barbie made them into superheroes and things. And then you have all these other girls out chasing the boys and, you know playing the sports and things and you know that that wasn't my thing my thing was getting my cards going to you know the thrift stores and you know the garage sales and and trying to find a a little something that that made me happy that's that's better to me than you know anything else these teenage girls were growing up with and and you you just said girls have become so much part of pop culture where they did not get the chance in my generation and your all's generation before it slowly started progressing. But that's huge just just in that fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I mean, really, you experienced it. You were part of the breakthrough generation that got to be a part of that, and it was okay mm-hmm. and, you know, accepted. And, you know, you set the ground for the generation after that. Yep, I tell I tell my daughter, and <clears throat> I tell my stepdaughter. You know, I say, you know, really, boys dig chicks that are that are nerdy. They they dig chicks that are into comics. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hundred percent. I mean, I never dreamed of that, you know, growing up, whether it was elementary, junior high, or whatever, that you know, a girl would know what I was talking about when I <laughs> any kind of comic and to think that that day would one day come mm-hmm. my head would have exploded <laughs> and, and with happiness not disgust like you know you're sixth grade what well, girl touch me old man you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like so you gave me cooties back back yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like when um, my husband and I went to Comic-Con, uh, it was two years back, and the only thing he was looking forward to the whole time, not working there, not, you know, uh, buying any of this crazy stuff, it was meeting Jose Delbo for Super Pro, I said it earlier, and he actually, when he showed him his number one Super Pro comic, Jose's face, it just lit up, and and his wife, it was either his wife or his daughter, I think both of them were there, but um, they, they actually interpreted yeah. interpreted for him. Um, but he was just so excited to see it. And and, and my husband, I've never seen him so excited before. And like I said, he collects every single one, and people make fun of him, but it was it's what he wanted, and, and that, that was my best moment of going to that Comic-Con, was just uh, seeing his face see, because... That's fantastic. Yeah, it that's just made his day. To be able to come with those memories. I can remember being a kid. I was a big, and still am, and actually got to write one story, so I'm happy. But I was a big Bolana Beast fan huh. from DC Comics. Oh, okay. And when I, we were, I was a kid in Sydney. I got, oh, kid, they peppered me like I, like I was a piece of wood, and they were a woodpecker. I mean, they harassed me to know it. That, that, that's the worst character in the world. 
like that level. I always just thought there was something so crazy <laughs> about it. But it was, in a way, I felt like, hey, he was mine, you know? Yeah. No one else likes him, but I do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's something for everybody out there. Absolutely. No Exactly, and that's like me with uh, Booster Gold. I like anything when Booster Gold is written or anything, because Booster Gold rocks. (laughs) Dan Dan Jurgens will be so glad to hear that. Oh, his run, his run on Booster Gold was awesome. I loved it. I loved his run on that, and I also loved the Jeff Johns run on it too. Uh, And see, yeah, yeah. Dan Dan is one of the nicest guys. Yes. When <laughs> I love Jeff. I was doing Guy Garden when I was doing Guy Gardner Warrior. Uh-huh. And this was towards you know, the end of the run and stuff. I got a call from Jeff and you know, we knew each other but we didn't you know, we're not close friends or anything, just knew each yeah. other, you know, from the end of the business. And he called me up that afternoon, he goes Oh, he goes, um you know, he's from Michigan, him and his brother both. And he goes, when I was in school, he goes, I, my brother and I were the biggest Guy Gardner Warrior fans. You know, he's talking about how they, you know, really liked this, that, and the other. And that, that meant a lot to me because I really liked Jeff's work. And then when they brought back Guy Gardner after being Warrior and they started to reconstruct the Green Lantern Corps again, he called me back. He goes, Bo, it's all right if we do, well, we're changing back, you know, being a Green Lantern. It's all right if we do this and this when we're explaining how he used to be a warrior and stuff. You talk about consideration. He didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh-uh. I did, you know, he was not only a big writer at DC, but, you know, an executive too. But to call me and ask me if it was okay if they did this, this, and this, that to me earned me far beyond his respect and, and as a professional. And what a nice guy to do that because trust me I've been in business 34 years that is rare to and far between if not ever heard of and that's a great experience for me to be you know well midway into my career at that point and have someone show that kind of respect that that didn't have to that was great so Jeff and and Dan both are just excellent individuals that uh, uh, I can never praise their work or their character enough so, Bo, where can everybody find you on social media and plus your up- upcoming projects? Um, let's see. Clover Press is where my next two projects, when I'm with Melanie, is coming from. And they're, you know, Clover Press, you know, you Google that and their stuff will come up. Um, and it, they're, it's Robbie Robbins and Ted Adams. Who used to, they founded IDW and they, now they have their own publishing, another publishing company of their own now um and social media um i'm on facebook type in bo smith bang i show up uh twitter it's bo smith ranch uh you know at bo smith ranch and the same with instagram same place and i'm on all three all the time i'm probably one of the easiest guys in the world to find yeah, so Bo, um, with every guest that we have come on the show, um, we have a special guest appearance 
um, case that we ask if you possibly could donate something to it. So, and we put your name down and it's like your own little piece of the shrine there for all of our guests. And we're hoping that maybe you can uh, contribute to that, um, you know, a signed autograph or, or anything like that, that we can throw yeah. in there. So everybody that comes around, they, they see it and we have some awesome memories to tell and show. Of course. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. Be glad to. All you got to do is, uh, uh, you know, email me or just message me however the the address to send it. Done deal. Great. It's been it's been such a great pleasure. I know I was so excited when I heard I was going to get to um, talk to you and and have you on our show. And you know, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for giving me something to look forward to and to pass down to my children and, you know, and, and, and keeping everything that started off for me young that I love today and you make it keep going. So thank you so much for that. No, no, trust me. It it seriously is not being cliche. It is my pleasure and don't tell, ever tell any of my publishers or editors or anybody, but I do this stuff for free. (laughs) hey that's good i'm I'm still getting to do my dreams so i really appreciate guys i thank you all for having me and and putting up with me for an hour and you know i just just you know i i am just seriously this has been a pleasure uh, it was been it's it's been a fun podcast and like i said thank you so much for you know coming on and it, it, it was a ball and I'm looking forward to uh, reading your uh, your and Melanie's book you mm-hmm. you got me at uh, shut up and take my money right. <laughs> that's our favorite that's our favorite one shut up and take our money <laughs> Clover has not made the official announcement I wish I could sit here and just blabber on about it because I'm very very excited about it but you will know soon I will, I'll be able to say that without them cracking the whip on me that's great we're looking forward to everything you have coming up in the future well everybody thanks for tuning in today we really appreciate it and we hope you enjoyed this segment with us and remember kitties a boy's best friend is his mother <laughs> hey. thank you guys thank See you, you alright thank you so much everybody else uh, thank you for listening to Horror Pop After Midnight and you can follow us on every podcast platform um, you can follow us at Podcast City Network at podcastcity.net, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, uh, Castbox, and you can follow us on Facebook at Horror Pop After Midnight and Twitter at Pop After. Everybody, have a great evening.